Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And today we talked about the noon hour in our series, Unpacking a Day in the Life. And Christy, honestly, I was not prepared for how medieval monks compared this hour of the day to a kind of hell. (laughs) The poets and writers really showed up for us today, Lisa Joe. Who knew they had so much wisdom to offer when it comes to those amorphous middle hours of our ordinary days? Okay, friends, get comfy. Here we go. Well, here's part two of the surprise three-part series we had not planned and are now in the middle of. And fittingly, it's the middle episode of the day in the life morning. And today will be the noon conversation before we head on to the night conversation. Apparently, as you get older, I feel like maybe your days start to feel like dog years, the hours do. So (laughs) we needed to have an entire conversation just about the morning. And here comes the noon chat. Lisa Jones, I was thinking ahead to what might be in this episode and actually worrying. I think all I have to talk about for noon is what I eat for lunch. <laughs> but I I thought of this phrase from that I remembered from um, a writer I know I have mentioned um, on the podcast before because she's so great. She's a poet. She's a writer about Christian faith, um, Kathleen Norris. So she has a book about acedia. So I don't know if you know I've that word. So the book is called... Word. Yeah, it's called Acedia and Me, A Marriage, Monks, and a Writer's Life. But I'm remembering from that book that apparently this term Acedia was known to like middle medieval monks as the noonday demon. <laughs> oh, wow. And as, I know. And so that phrase has been bouncing around in my head. And I'm like, are we talking about lunch or are we talking about demons? I don't know. But here's what acedia means. And I, so I think, actually, this is maybe somewhere to go today. Acedia, without getting too technical, I mean, essentially what we're talking about is that kind of middle-of-the-day boredom, that middle-of-the-day slump. Um, and so here, here's this great quote from Kathleen Norris about something that I really experienced starting about noon to let's say like 3 p.m. I feel like noon to 3 p.m. is this for me. She says, might we consider boredom as not only necessary for our life, but also as one of its greatest blessings, a gift, pure and simple, a precious chance to be alone with our thoughts and alone with God. Okay, so I'm not there yet, Lisa Joe, but maybe we'll get there because right now I just feel like the middle of the day, I the boredom hits hard like a like a weight on me. And it's not a boredom of I have nothing to do because I have lots to do. It's a boredom of I don't feel like doing it anymore. So I go downstairs and make lunch. And so that's what <laughs> that is what noon is often like for me on a typical weekday. Well, first, what about you? First I want to know how you spell acedia. Good question. A-C-E-D-I-A. 
And I could totally be pronouncing it incorrectly. I don't know, but that's how I read it. So I've never heard of that word, which now I love because where it's so rare to learn new words, I right. feel like, acedia. And I secondly am grateful you clarified you're not bored because you don't have anything to do. You're bored because you don't want to do what you have to do. Exactly. So that is a very interesting state. And I will say, as I was thinking about this, the middle of the day, what are we doing there? I often feel like for me, the middle of the day sort of, and when I think about the middle, I'm thinking like between 10 o'clock and three in the afternoon Mm -hmm. for me is a period of time that goes by really, really fast because it is the chunk of time I, I have without children. The last kid is finally on the bus. There's usually a lot of things on my list. And if I get into it deep enough, I honestly feel like that time just runs through my fingers like sand through an hourglass. And so sometimes when I'm in a good rhythm, I don't want to stop for lunch because when I do, I know that maybe it's a CDA will sneak up on me and I won't want to come back to what I'm doing. But a lot of the time for me, that is the most productive bulk of the day. Like it is like focused, intense work. And I have joked because I have a dog who sits next to me during the day. I often wonder what from her perspective I look like because I literally just sit in a chair and stare at a screen for like eight hours. It must look (laughs) bizarre that I just sit in like completely motionless and have no interactions with her or anybody else as I stare at a screen, which is why I too sometimes feel like the middle of the day is weird to describe because it doesn't feel interesting. Actually, Chrissy, I've often thought um, how funny it would be if you made like one of those reality TV shows about the life of a writer, because all you would have would be like (laughs) long stretches of time. Maybe you would have to do a time lapse video where a person just stares into space, basically. (laughs) Uh-huh. Like every now and again says a curse word or cries or like opens <laughs> a book. <laughs> so I have seen a couple um, like day in the life or like done with time lapse, time lapse of a writer at work. But this is the only way it works. And I am not this kind of writer. I don't know about you. So the ones I have seen are writers who have written notes out about different chapters or timelines or like they're trying to structure their book maybe and they've written it all out and they're in a room and they've got it spread all over the table and they've Mm. maybe got thing you know vision board or or um, notes you know taped up to the wall and they're moving things around and then they're going back to their laptop i have seen things like that that kind of make visible the work of writing but like you i don't ever do that i just sit and stare at a screen i don't ever write notes and move them around no (laughs) it's just sitting in front of a screen right (laughs) which is um I think last week in episode one, we talked about watching grass grow. (laughs) It's probably a lot like watching grass grow. (laughs) Also, we did talk about in last week's episode, like what we would look like on writing days. And that's the other thing about writing days, because everything now is centered internally inside my mind. I don't care about what I look like or Mm -hmm. what I ate or, you know, the clothes I'm wearing or it just nothing matters. Almost nothing matters even in the room around me. Like depending on how deep I am, I can really shut out any part of the material world. And I'm so deep in the sort of imaginative, creative world. And I think it's why I was joking uh, this weekend, you know, I was with you guys at Maplehurst and your husband and I were laughing because I've been working on a project with Christy's husband, John, and it involves a lot of phone calls. Mm 
And so a couple days a week, I help out with this project and I do a lot of calls. I connect with people from sales teams and I (laughs) told him I wasn't meaning to insult the work I'm doing. I just, it's such different work that I said, wow, it's almost as if when I'm doing these calls, my brain can just take a vacation. Like it's just (laughs) so great. And then I realized as soon as I said it, when you tell that to someone whose full-time job that is, and Christy was so quick to come to my rescue. And she said, no, it's because when you are writing, your brain is constantly working to find a completely new, out-of-the-box way of communicating completely ordinary essentially boring truths that everybody's heard a million times. Whereas if you're making phone calls, you're actually trying to find one way that works the best and then just say it that way over and over again. And so for your for a writer's brain, it feels very soothing <laughs> to, to turn off like the need to constantly be creative and allow myself to just be in the rhythm. So for me, like this chunk of working hours really does feel like rhythmic. Like I, I imagine anybody who swims laps or is pushing a mower back and forth or is driving or even like I think about my days with little kids, like if you're rocking a kid constantly or you're reading or it's very repetitive. So even though I'm sitting still, there is a sense in which it's repetitive what I'm doing. My brain just kind of clicks into the rhythm and knows what it's supposed to do. However, let us be very honest here and say that Often, there are long stretches, and I don't mean hours, I mean days, where my brain does not want to click into that rhythm. And it is the weirdest thing how hard it can be to get there. I actually heard Shonda Rhimes describe this stage in work where you're kind of in, you've clicked into the rhythm. So whatever it is you do, so as writers, for us, it's kind of getting into that place where you are you're tracking with your own internal thoughts and you're managing to put them onto the page. She calls that the hum. Isn't that great? She's like, your brain is just like humming along and you're, you're in that space. But once you get out of it, it can, I don't know about you, it can take me ages to get back mm-hmm. in. And then the yeah. middle of the day for me looks like, cleaning the kitchen and folding laundry and having another snack and watching a YouTube video and panicking and like messaging Christy. I'm never going to write again. I'm never going to write again. I'm stuck in my head. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realizing as well. So I, I, I okay, there's a couple of different directions I want to go based on what you said. So I'm going to choose path one, but I want to put a pin here and come back to path two. Path two is that what you've just said about the hum reminds me of Madeline Langle's, um, uh, what she says about the two different kinds of time that she takes from the Greek language, right. chronos and kairos time. Um, she has that uh, in her book, Walking on Water. So I want to come back to that. But first I want to say, I feel like, I, I, it's interesting to me that you are, at least to begin with, are associating these middle of the day hours with something ideally and occasionally very productive, very focused. And um, even when I am in the hum, <laughs> the middle of the day is not that for me. And I'm realizing, I think it may be because what what we do and what we feel in the middle of the day flows so much out of how we start the day. And as I shared last week, I tend to be someone who I think because work tasks just weigh so heavy on my head and like I just feel the anxiety of it so much that I I literally start like a sprinter taking off the the starting block like in a swim meet or something. I get I just 
if I have a lot to do, I have to get going right away, which is why I shared last week. And if you haven't listened, go back to hear why this means I stay in my pajamas. Go back and listen. <laughs> but <laughs> I start like a sprinter. I go, 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 go. And that is like the most focused, productive time for me. But that means by 11, like a hobbit, I think, I start to flag big time. And so lunch for me is so, like, I can't even imagine skipping lunch. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> even, I cannot imagine being so in my work that, like, like that is, that is completely foreign to me. Because often by 11, um, depending on when the morning started, I am so in need of a, of a boost. Certainly by noon, certainly by noon, I just, I cannot maintain that um, that focus and that energy because I started running several hours ago is what it feels like. Like my brain started running hours ago. And so my brain just like, it's like almost like I can feel, you know, when you're on your laptop and the battery's getting low and right. then that little red right. thing. So like I, <laughs> I am that little red <laughs> battery. And then this is when I start, I can start to panic, Lisa Joe, because then I have to go and have lunch. I have to take this break. And then that is when that that acedia, that noonday demon slumps onto my shoulders because then I think, oh my gosh, my kids will be home in two and a half hours. My time's almost up. Is it worth getting back into the flow? Like, I'm so tired now. Maybe I should just read for a while. Um, oh my goodness, that that's where I go in the middle of the day. And then I'll, almost like, well, it's it's over now. I might as well, you know, like right. all all those questions that I know are are familiar to both of us. And I feel like even this was a similar rhythm for me when I had young kids because I can remember like that hour before they would go down for that kind of midday early afternoon nap. I was like slogging through mud to, <laughs> to right. get there with them. Like, can we make it? Can we make it to nap time? And somehow I'm still sort of in that rhythm, like maybe I need a nap. I don't know. <laughs> I think this is why I've always loved South Africa. And we inherited this from Britain, of course, our tea breaks, because I think they sense the slump and they anticipate them. So there's generally a tea break around Ooh. 10 or 11. Oh, and then again, yes. around like three or four in the afternoon. Tea and so break. It just kind of gives you that little boost to like get over those humps. And so for me, because most of the time I'm only starting my workday, like truly starting it by nine, once my last kid is finally delivered to the bus, 11 is too soon to stop. So I've just gotten into the hum. I need to keep going, but I might pause for like a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or like a biscuit, a cracker, like something like that to keep going through. But because I don't trust myself, if I stop for a real lunch, like if I stop and I make food, my brain is like, ooh, but now we need to savor it and sit down and watch a show, but a show's going to last 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And like, so it's really tricky to, to give myself that time out. So I think I tend to push it more toward around 2 or 2.30 because I know at 3 I have to start the driving. So I might as well give myself a little time before 3, but that way I've maximized my middle of the day mm. hours. And mm. so I really, um, 
I, I get resentful like if I have to go to a dentist appointment or a doctor or there's something like that that takes up middle of the day time because I feel like I have such limited resources. I have between nine and three. That's so little. I resent these dumb kids who like at three o'clock have to get picked <laughs> up from things. Like I want to have that job where I can just keep going till five, you know? And so sometimes I pick them up and then I might just like let drop them into the house and come back out here and keep working for a while and just tell them I need to keep going. But generally, like once they're home and then the evening schedule, we'll talk about that. Oh, my, my nemesis (laughs) (laughs) is so brutal that, you know, there's no way to just sort of keep working through it. But I do think that, of course, noon looks different, say, on a weekday than it does on a weekend than it does in the summertime, for example, right? So a noon on a weekend is going to find me either only it's really like there's not a middle ground. Like either I'm in full on sports mode, I'm at some sports game, or I'm doing nothing. Like I am sprawled out on the sofa, reading a book or watching a show. And I tend to, I'm curious about you, I tend to the night before. So like Friday night, I like to get my house like cleaned and laundry done or whatever so that on Saturday, I don't spend Saturday cleaning. I want to spend Saturday resting or maybe I'm at sports, but I I certainly don't. I used to like spend most of Saturday morning trying to get the house pulled together. So that's like a, it goes into the noon hour. So a lot of time can get eaten up in that way. That middle of the day seems like it's such a hard bucket to hold on to because it's mm-hmm. been siphoned off by the night yeah. and the morning. <laughs> yeah. That's a good image for maybe the direction this conversation is taking as we think about the unique the uniqueness of that middle part of the day. It's like a yeah, that siphoning effect between, you know, like that pull, that tug and pull of morning and evening and the demands of both. And how does that shape the middle of the day? That's that's really good. So, yeah, I guess I think about the weekend. It's funny. One thing I actually like about the weekend and about Saturdays in particular is that I can fill them all day with a kind of embodied work, a kind of busy body work, which might be laundry, might be dishes, like nothing, like cleaning the bathrooms. No, I don't ever like that. <laughs> but, you know, just the kind of mindless busyness, the picking up, the straightening, and for me, especially the gardening, like the getting out and doing that kind of work. That is work that to me, often, again, not the cleaning of bathrooms, but but often, you know, if it's the kind I like, um, feels r- like weirdly restful. It's like Saturday comes, I can turn off. The morning can just be really lingering, really slow, stay in bed, but not like doing work, stay in bed, read a newspaper or um, uh, something like that. And then the middle of the day, it feels so good to me on a Saturday to get up, to put on work clothes, do the gardening, do the laundry. It feels like I can shut my brain off, my brain that has been in overdrive all week. And I'm an overthink. It's not just the work I do. It's it's who I am. I'm an overthinker. I'm like always in my head. And I feel like Saturday is permission to like shut it off, check things off. So I feel productive, but in a way that like taxes my brain, not at all. Right. <laughs> so Saturday <laughs> is like vacation for Christy's brain. <laughs> So weirdly, you'll find me like my favorite thing all day Saturday. Like I will not be, it doesn't, and I'm a pretty restful, quiet, like I love lying around reading a book, but noon on a Saturday, you will not find me doing that because it feels so good to me on that day to finally be moving my body, like getting things done, but in a way that is just totally physical and not at all 
mental. Mm. And I wonder if that's related to how you shared in last week's morning episode that you no longer drive, like for your kids. So there's not right. a lot of demanding yeah. driving, right? So you're home a lot. You're, uh, you know, your work week allows you to just be still in one place. Whereas my week, and I'll share more about this in next week's episode, is there's so much driving. Like I'm on the go constantly. And even though you're sitting in a car, it requires like your body to really be engaged, mm -hmm. like in the yeah. driving and the awareness and there's True. been bad weather. And then I'm out and getting boys and at the side of sports fields. And I feel like my body is constantly in motion throughout the week. And so on the weekends, like the last thing I want to do is like be on the go. Like I don't want to go to stores. I don't, don't want to do anything. Like I just don't want to get in a car. And so it's why I think just letting my body be still has felt like rest to me. I will say, this weekend, my son, Micah, who loves to be outside as well, was incredibly active in the yard. So he actually hooked up during the noon hour. He hooked his our little wagon, our yard wagon up to his electric bicycle. And he was like carting oh. it all over the yard, picking up all the sticks so that he could then wow. ride the riding mower and mow. And he, he, was, he was using the weed whacker. He was in and out with that. And, um, and so then I was out sort of a little bit like looking at flowers and helping him with some sticks. And, but I didn't have to. I could choose to, you know, it wasn't like there was a schedule I, I couldn't miss. And I think that's part of what I struggle with when we are trying to, and I'm sure every person feels this way. Like you only have so many hours in the day. Some of those hours you can choose what to do with, but there are a lot of hours you just don't have control over that other people's schedules dictate them, whether it's your boss or your work hours or your kids who have to be picked up from school or sports that are later that night or a church event. For me, like the most luxurious noon hours are when I had a brief window of this on Sunday. So Peter was at a soccer game with Jackson. I had stayed because I had to take Zoe over to a friend's house and Micah was out in the yard and there was a brief window in which it was just me in the house with no demands on my time or schedule. It was only like an hour and a half, but it was just so beautiful. Like it was a vacation for my brain and my body. Like I, it's so rare where we're not scheduled into something. I don't know about you, but like on Sunday nights, Peter, every Sunday, there's this huge chalkboard that hangs in the living room of our house. And Pete writes up the weekly schedule for everybody because there's so many things special here, especially now at the end of the year, like all these activities and concerts and tournaments and whatnot. And Pete, writes it all up on the board and it is daunting to make eye contact with mm. that thing sometimes <laughs> and you just realize oh my goodness here we go another marathon week and so then the hours between nine and three feel like so few there's so few to try to be productive that I feel like I have to be hyper productive and sometimes what happens is I'm hyper productive and sometimes what happens is it backfires my brain is like that's too much pressure for me will not be able to perform today right <laughs> I am shutting down. And maybe that, like, I want to read that quotation from Kathleen Norris again, because now, like, this far into the conversation, I'm starting to see maybe, you know, what this could look like, what she might mean when she says, might we consider boredom as not only necessary for our life, that's huge, but also as one of its greatest blessings, a gift, pure and simple, a precious chance to be alone with our thoughts and alone with God. 
So it's looking a little different for each of us, but I notice we're both talking about like those moments where there's so much pressure to go, go, do, do, whether it's like with our bodies in the car or with our brains in front of a computer, um, that those moments when we either by choice or by necessity, when she uses that word necessary, um, we, we can't keep going. Either our brain has just informed us it is on strike or, or I'm just feeling that like low blood sugar of midday um, that as much as we're able um, to receive that, even if it's really uncomfortable um, and, and receive it as a gift and embrace that time of just being alone with our thoughts and alone with God, that kind of emptiness. There is something about noon like in this series, it's obvious to me, I think, that morning will be a full time and evening, at least for you and I with children still at home, will be a full time. And there's something about noon that has the potential to be full or empty in a way like morning and evening. They don't, they are not empty times. They just can't, they can't be. I, and I wouldn't want them to be. That's not what they're for. Um, I wouldn't want an empty morning. Morning is precious to me. It's like coffee and reading and starting to work and getting up. And um, But noon is like the one time of day, really, <laughs> um, that like consistently at least has that potential for emptiness in a way that, frankly, I don't normally embrace. I want to fill. I want to keep going. Um, even if it's just the emptiness of like pausing alone, which is the other thing in my life right now, I tend on the weekdays to eat lunch alone. And that is the only meal I ever eat alone. Um, and so there's an emptiness in that even that, that, you know, maybe I can have a different perspective on. Um, and actually shifting into like practically the fact that I can eat lunch alone means that I can do a meal my way. Right. I was going to ask, what do you <laughs> eat for lunch typically? I'm curious now. So a meal my way. Um, and this might surprise some listeners because I know we talk about food a lot. I talk about hosting people. I do like to cook. But if if it's a meal just for me, I will almost n- never actually cook. So what I love to do for lunch, I mean, the best is if you have, in my view, really yummy leftovers because then... Right. Best of both worlds. That's you get what I was going to say. Yummy cooked you. food, yeah. but you just have to like microwave it or warm it up on the stove. That's ideal. Um, if I don't have yummy leftovers, then my favorite lunch is like a snacky plate where I just yeah. gather nibbles. Oh my gosh, it's so easy and so delicious. And so it'll be for me a plate often with um, olives. I love olives. So I keep a big jar of my favorite Greek olives in the fridge. Little crackers, like there's some almond flour crackers I've been getting from Costco that are so, so yummy. Um, I used to maybe do some cheese. I'm not doing cheese right now, which I shared about. (laughs) Um, But like olives, crackers, always some little fresh like veg, something super easy, like um, grab some carrots or cut a cucumber or some bell pepper, um, something raw and easy. And then maybe there's something like for protein, like a hummus. Lately, I have been doing um, this thing where, and here's a story. So um, I'm going to date myself and say that, you know, I was learning to cook as a young bride in the age of fat-free everything. 
Do you remember that period of time when we all thought like we couldn't eat fat? Right. Very sad. (laughs) So I was, I was learning about food in that time and I was learning how to feed myself and my husband and, you know, our family um, during that time. And so I can remember my first exposure to like making my own grocery list or looking at recipes. Um, Sometimes there would be an ingredient and it would say like a can of tuna and it would specify like packed in water. Because, of course, it needed to be fat-free. Right. And I remember, so the alternative was that tuna packed in oil. And I remember the time thinking, why would you ever choose that extra fat? Of course, I'm going to buy tuna packed in water. Like, it would never occur to me to buy the other. So now, it has not been until my 40s when I have discovered the great pleasure and deliciousness of tuna <laughs> packed in oil. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Because the thing about tuna packed in a yummy olive oil is that all you have to do is open the little tin, fork out a little tuna, and it already tastes good. You don't have to add anything. (laughs) And it's super healthy because it's tuna and olive oil. And so I'll sometimes fork out a little tuna that I can like, you know, fork onto the cracker and then chase with a little cucumber. And then I have the olive and that is... Like, even now, I'm thinking, like, yeah, that's what I'm going to have for lunch today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we're similar in that regard. For me, my first go-to is always, like, leftover. Like, what could I quickly heat up, bring back to my desk? So, I'm I'm a person who, like, will keep keep it at her desk. Yeah. I won't necessarily like keep working. I might. What I try to tend to do over the lunch hours, if there's something I know I need to read. So I'm rereading a chapter or I'm editing somebody's work or I there's a news article I've been saving or something like that. I'll sit down at my desk and use that time to read that. Or I mean, let's be honest, I'll watch Kara and Nate, who I love on YouTube, the travel vloggers. Like if they happen <laughs> to have a new vlog out from some new country, then I'll watch that. But I do, I definitely do have days too where I like to not be on my computer and instead I'll put on a, this is new for me, I'll listen to a podcast. So like usually something entertaining or light while, like I like to put it on while I'm making the food. It's so like, and like you, like either, and for me, this isn't usually at noon. This is like at one or two right before I'm going to go get kids. So I'll have a podcast on and I will, and it's also, it's funny, I constantly have to play tricks on my own brain. So because I know I'm going to dread all the driving I have to start doing, if I start a podcast while I'm making food, then I'll tell myself, oh, I've still got the rest of the show to listen to while I drive. Yay. Oh, you know? Smart. <laughs> and so I'll listen to a podcast and I too, I love tuna and my family hate it. Like I can't even make it when they're home. So it's one of those things that I consider it enough because this is how strongly they feel about it that after I've made the tuna, like I actually rinse the can out like with water (laughs) so that if I put it in the trash, it doesn't smell at all. But I like tuna too. And I like my... I like all these foods that Peter for years used to tease me about when before we had kids because I would make like a baked potato or I really love like crunchy wheat toast with baked beans on. It's the British roots, I guess, um, or creamed corn over toast or I, I know Christy's face is like, that's oh so God. gross. I know. <laughs> or avocado <laughs> toast, which I mean, I've been having my whole life before it was trendy or I mean, this is going to gross you out so much. I love <laughs> It always has to be like a really rich whole grain bread, always toasted. And then I love, in German, they say liverwurst, like liver paste, Uh, like 
like pate, but not not as fancy. And you spread it on, and then like ripe tomatoes sliced on it, and then with oh, some pepper, cracked pepper and salt. Oh, it's so good. But Peter always calls this my prison food. He's like, "Oh, are you having <laughs> prison food again?" Because he thinks it's like so sad. That's like my favorite kind of food or like toast with uh, cream cheese and strawberry jam. I really like too. I mean, I like to make uh, like egg salad on toast. So usually toast is the vehicle with some kind of topping and then a cup of coffee, usually something hot, like a cup of coffee or something to go with it. So it does feel like a treat, but it isn't usually super leisurely. And I know it's leading me into like the longer stretch of the afternoon. But you're right. I really enjoy just eating it myself, not having to be like somebody else. Like, oh, could you make one for me too? Which right. ruins <laughs> the eating experience. Yeah, you get right right from the, the fridge to the belly very quickly. Right. I, right. I appreciate exactly, that too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there is something about being in the kitchen alone, being in the house alone. I uh, we both have husbands who work from home now, too. So it's very rare that I'm ever just completely alone in those spaces. So when I am, it does feel kind of like a treat to just have the quiet of the of the house. There's something about an empty house in the middle of the oh, day yeah. Yeah. Um, where the house itself feels like a like company. The house is, seems to be enjoying the quiet as well. The house and I having a meal together before the, the crazy of the, the schedule kicks on. I'm curious about you. I can't, like, if I'm going to make, like, a lunch or something, I obsessively have to first clean the kitchen. Like, so if, I don't mean deep clean, but if there's still, like, leftovers from breakfast mm -hmm. or there's yeah. chaos in the sink or whatever, I have to load, unload and load the dishwasher, wipe off the counters. Like, I need to actually have the kitchen feel like an exhale before I can prepare food in it. I'm curious if you feel that way. I do. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it would be possible for me to pull out my little snackies if the if the kitchen were just a wreck of breakfast, which it often is on the weekends. And then I will tackle it. But um, often on weekdays, my dear husband, shout out to Jonathan. I mean, he not only makes breakfast for the kids, but usually he has time to straighten up a bit afterwards, too. So I'm, I'm just lucky blessed there. But yeah, if, if he hasn't, then um, it's funny, loading the dishwasher is a very, maybe this is another episode someday, like which chores do we relish and which just drive us nuts. And one that is very satisfying to me is loading the dishwasher because for some reason it feels easy to me because you're not actually cleaning. Like you just need to get things ready and rinse things off. So you're not, it's not like there's no quality control issues at this point. It doesn't need to be perfect. You're just loading. And it's so quick to like see immediate results. So like if the counter is covered in stuff, which it almost always is at my house, um, quickly rinsing and moving that into the dishwasher and then shutting the dishwasher, whether or not it's time to turn it on, just feels to me like a really easy, low pressure way to find, to immediately feel better about yes. the whole entire world. Totally agree. And <laughs> unloading is the opposite. I hate <laughs> unloading the dishwasher. Everything about it is a drag. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Like, especially the silverware. Oh my yeah, gosh. Why is Put, that so Getting the awful. forks and fine. Oh, yes. Yes. And my poor kids are always like, I'll unload, but can someone else do the knives and forks? Like, that's always yeah. their thing. I'm like, no, that's the worst part. You have to do it. Plates are easy. <laughs> <laughs> Tackle the knives, please. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's funny when you actually stop to pay attention, stop to notice. Like, 
that these little things that are either gifts and blessings or irritants become more visible. Like, and I could never actually realize that that putting each individual fork away feels really burdensome. And yes, I don't know, somehow repetitive. just acknowledging that maybe next time I do it, I'll be like, hey, I don't feel great right now, but that's okay. It's because <laughs> I'm doing the forks. There's a reason. <laughs> I think it, we can't end this episode without acknowledging, like one of the reasons I think of this as the noon episode. And, and, I, and I wondered about this because I think you and I have different definitions of the word noon. I had the most interesting experience when I came to college in the States from South Africa. Uh, my brother actually came too. And I remember when he was a freshman, I was a senior. He met me for lunch one day and he said, Lisa, Joe, I have just learned the craziest thing about Americans. <laughs> and I said, what is that? And he said, when they say noon, they mean like 12 o'clock. <laughs> I laughed so hard and I was like, I know, isn't it insane? And he's like, yes, it's the weirdest thing. Because in South Africa, noon is a long amorphous period of time. Any time between like 11 and 2.30 in the afternoon is considered noon. And so when Joshua would make plans to meet somebody, he would say, let's, they'd say, let's meet at noon. And he'd say, okay, what time? And then they'd say noon. And he would be like, yes, but like, when should I actually what show time? up? It's like someone saying, morning, we'll meet in the mornings. Right. <laughs> right. And which makes sense. Morning, noon, and yeah, night. They are does. like periods of time. They are not yes. the dials on a clock, which is why this conversation feels like noon is the sort of lazy, amorphous, hard to define, sometimes great and productive. Sometimes it's sprawled out on the sofa. Like noon just feels like this late. I picture noon in my mind, like this woman I don't know why noon is always a woman to me. And she's either like this gorgeous buxom woman from like the paintings, you know, when the ladies would be voluptuous and she's sprawled out on the sofa eating bonbons <laughs> <laughs> or she's strapped up in her business wear, you know, with high heels, tick, 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 tick down the tick, sidewalk tick. with a briefcase, <laughs> like very busily trying to get somewhere with a Starbucks yeah. in her hand. Like those yeah. are the two versions of noon for me. There's no in between. <laughs> No in between. That's so great. That's really helpful to hear that about, yeah, the South African version, which I will admit makes so much more sense. And yet, and yet you're right. In our culture, noon is 12 colon zero zero. Yeah. That, that brings me back to Madeline Langle and walking on water and her, her little reflection on the difference um, between Kronos time and Kairos time. I feel like maybe, I, I don't know, it's just me guessing here, maybe in the U.S. because we are such a clock driven culture. We're so attentive to our, our watches and, and timepieces that um, we've let morning and evening be stay a little amorphous, but oh my gosh, between morning and evening, we are going to measure every single minute. And so, of course, we have measured noon, distilled it to that 12 o'clock period um, because we need every minute accounted for. And that is that is chronos time. And there is a there is a time and a place for Kronos time. But I love um, Langle talking about Kairos time as the time where like eternity touches earth 
And we're, it's like we step into God's time, and that's the time for prayer, that's the time for play, and that's the time for making art, for being creative. And that's the hum you were talking about. Um, it's what I sometimes feel in the garden. We sometimes maybe feel when we're writing. I think we can feel it in a really good moment with a child where we've just let go of any attention to the clock and we're just there playing with them. Um, it's a good good kind of time to cultivate in our lives. But I wonder if maybe one of the ways that we cultivate it is, first of all, by not being afraid of emptiness, not being afraid of boredom, and by just like showing up again and again to do the work or to, or to you know, sit in the chair for writers um, and, and push through the discomfort in order to get to that place of, of Kairos time where God meets us. It's, it's a about discipline. And we know that from prayer as well. Like it's a discipline to sit down again and pray again. But, you know, then there are those moments in prayer where where you lose that sense of time and you're no longer watching the clock. So noon is hard. I, I feel it. That, I mean, it's there's a reason my brain went to that phrase noonday demon, but there is this potential there that is really sacred that I don't, I am less likely, I think personally, to experience in morning or evening because those those um, periods of the day are so full and accounted for, but there is potentially space for it in the middle of the day. I love it. I, I think I need to end by sharing a quote from when I was in law school, we had a professor who talked a lot about time. And it comes to my mind, especially when I think about this noon time, because as lawyers, time is measured in billable hours and not even hours, but in 15 minute increments. And she wrote a beautiful article challenging that, that understanding of quantifying time to a dollar value in that way. And she writes here, flattening out its rhythms into a kind of endless, colorless present. Life becomes experienced as a monotonous extension. If all we do is put like a financial amount on ours. And what's really beautiful is when she's talking about, she's a Catholic professor about how we see time from a spiritual perspective. She says, for Catholics, time is not one long stretch, but the medium in which the history of humanity's salvation is played out and individual moments of decision and conversion occur. And I just think it's so beautiful to think of time as something, of course, that is created by God. It's His framework. It's how He frames life here on earth. And it's rhythmic, but it's not supposed to be like it's rhythmic in the sense that you have rhythm in a music that adds to the music. It's not rhythmic in the sense that you have an army marching to the same drumbeat all the time. And I think that's something I'm going to keep in mind more when I think about the noon hour now, this time of the day that sometimes I tend to treat more like a march mm-hmm. and and to start to ask myself, but am I also listening to the music of this day, like what God is doing through the time that He has given me today? And so, yeah, between these two different quotes, one starting with monks and one with lawyers, <laughs> I, <think laughs> I might hold the noon hour a little differently now. Wow, Lisa Joe, this conversation has surprised me. I was a little worried it might be as dull as watching grass grow or finding out that Christy likes olives. <laughs> so now I'm kind of extra excited to see what's next as we keep moving and enter the evening hours next week. <laughs>